So if you just want to start in kind of like a little bit of your background, kind of like where you grew up, like kind of like your home life, church life, and then even like little details like where you went to college, all that. Okay. So I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. And I um, I grew up in like a pretty, I would say normal Christian home okay. <laughs> where we prayed over our meal and we watched Veggie Tales and <laughs> like the normal, I guess normal fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and I I loved my parents and I have two younger brothers, two biological brothers. Yeah. Um, who I grew up with, and we went to a few different churches growing up, um, mostly because my dad loved being a part of church plants, and so he would go and support his um, his friends that were maybe pastors that were starting churches, so we kind of bebopped all over yeah. Columbia in churches, <laughs> um, mostly like non-denominational. Okay. And then around high school, we ended up going to a church called Christ Church of the Carolinas, and it's pretty reformed, um, okay. so we went from non-denominational to pretty conservative yeah, really quickly. Yeah. And so um, I just kind of learned a lot about God in a lot of different ways from a lot of different people. And yeah. so I think um, my parents did a really great job of filtering through a lot because there was a lot of room for confusion. Mm-hmm. So I relied heavily on my parents, specifically my dad, to kind of show me, and I, I trusted him as the person to help me filter through all these things I was hearing. Yeah. Um, and so then I ended up going to high school and then going to college. And I went to um, college at Clemson University. Okay. And um, made some really great friends. <laughs> I yeah. majored in communications and graphic design. That was really fun, too. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm kind of using it, too. Yeah. So that's kind of the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I met Jesus. There wasn't like this one particular, like, oh my goodness, on my face crying moment where yeah. I met Jesus. I think it's just a journey of getting to know him. But uh-huh. um, I I do feel like this relationship has been a thing since I was a child. And there was one turning moment, I feel like, in college when I realized, you know, like the power that I have because of him mm-hmm. and the sacrifice that he made. And I think that that's just a maturity thing that I have yeah. that had. I'd say a relationship for a pretty long time since I was a kid. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And so kind of moving on, and this is kind of something that I, you know, gleaned from, I think it was one of your first episodes on the podcast that I heard. Um, And it was kind of just like, you know, dealing with the grief of your dad passing away. And so if you like would talk a little bit and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was sick before he passed away, correct? Sort of. So, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, when I when I was in second grade, my parents already had the conversation with me of, hey, dad's kidneys are failing and dad's really sick. And this might be our last Christmas with dad. Okay. And this is what life's going to look like without dad. Like, mm-hmm. we kind of already went through that whole death after death grieving process when I was in second grade. Yeah. Um, and then he basically, he had kidney failure and was needing a kidney transplant, but it just wasn't looking hopeful with uh-huh. how the list of transplant and, and everything that goes into that fell into place. Yeah. Um, but miraculously, there was a woman who even went to our church who wow. just felt the spirits tough to go get tested. Yeah. Um, and she did, and she had the same blood type, the same kidney wow. type, like everything matched 100%. Wow. So she donated his kidney, her kidney to him when I was in second grade. So yeah. that was 
truly when I feel like I grasped the gospel where I saw this woman who gave up a part of her life so my dad could live his. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the hospital room with my dad and he explained like this is what Christ did for you. But even yeah. more than just giving a kidney, like he gave up his life and it was a struggle and it was a fight so that you could live your fullest and and so after that, my dad did crazy, rambunctious things. Like, yeah. <laughs> he went from when I was dying in bed to running marathons and triathlons and climbing mountains and, yeah. like, skiing and snowboard. Like, he just went all out with life. He just, yeah. I guess he understood the brevity. So he's like, I'm not playing games this time. I'm going to just mm-hmm. do it right. So, um, yeah, he ended up being really fun and adventurous. And he went on to live another, um, let's see. Yeah, like another 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then he, he actually ended up passing away in a rock climbing accident wow. um, when I was a junior in high school. Yeah, right? Every time I say that, I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> There's yeah. no way. And I think just because we were so prepared yeah. when I was younger for what that was going to look like, that mm-hmm. since he overcome it, he, or he overcame it, yeah. I just, I guess, assumed he was invincible. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, if that's what death looks like, and he kind of scooped away from it, yeah. And surely he's just going to die old, you know? Mm-hmm. And that wasn't his story and that wasn't mine. And um, I've come, like, I have great peace about the way it all happened too because I was from a young age able to ask the really hard questions to myself. Like, what would life look like without dad? And yeah. because of that, I invested so much into our relationship and asked a lot of questions and I was a teenager when he passed away, so sure, we got in a lot of fights, too, but yeah. <laughs> um, we went through that season, but um, it was also so sweet knowing that he literally died doing something he loved, and he wasn't even able to do 10 years before that, so yeah. uh, just kind of like a glory-to-glory glory moment where I realized, gosh, this really stinks, and this is not the way I would have written my own story, but if that's how it has to happen, that's the best way I do now, yeah. and um We've learned a lot through it and still grieving through it. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, especially since in the beginning of our conversation, I told you how he was really the foundation and yeah. helped me filter through things. Mm-hmm. When I lost my dad, I really felt feel like I lost a lot of um, who I was and who I believed I was in Christ yeah. and the confidence I had and, like, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Like, all that, I feel like, for me – um, not all of it, but a lot of it passed away with him because a lot of who I was in my relationship with Jesus was me, Jesus, and my dad. Mm-hmm. Like if I ever had scriptural questions, I wouldn't really pray through them. I would go to my dad and be like, what do you think this means? And yeah. I think he was, he was a crutch and I think he would tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. Of, I don't think I really was able to explore and adventure this personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus. And not because my dad got in the way, but because I chose for him to be a huge intricate part, um, looking back, I'm grateful for, but also kind of handicapped me in a lot of the grieving process because I hadn't done this alone. Yeah. Get get that. But like, what has it looked like, you know, because since then, you know, you got married and like, that's a moment that I guess at least you kind of dream of spending, you know, sharing that with your dad a little bit. And so like, what does that look like and what has life looked like kind of since then in those moments? Yeah. Good question. I I feel like I'm still kind of sorting through it all. And there's days that I wake up and something will happen and I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to tell dad about that. And then, yeah. I mean, I'm 24 years old and this happened to me when I was 17. Yeah. And you think that it would make a click, but that's not a possibility. 
yeah. but my heart goes there so so often I think because my family and I have done this really cool thing for all of us of just keeping him alive through stories uh-huh. um so stories are great um for me just to be they're a comfort because I never want to forget who he was and like what he did in my life and what he did even in other people's lives so yeah my favorite is when other people like I was um visiting a church whenever I, we came back home to Columbia because we're not here anymore yeah I probably should have said that <laughs> no no yeah we um we came back and visited a church and this man walked up to me and he's like, Are you Rachel McAfee? Which is my maiden name. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm now Rachel Autry and and this is my husband. He's like, I have to tell you what your dad did for me. Wow. And those are like the sweetest moments of knowing that he touched so many other people's lives too. And that is why the grieving process is continuous because yeah. it's not like you get over it and it's a hurdle you cross and you're fine. There's very much moments that pop up that you can anticipate popping up, like Christmas, right? That's yeah. probably going to be tough. Or his, um, we call it his glory day, like the day he went to be with Jesus. Like yeah. every year, it's always very weird. Um, or even like my birthday. Like you can just anticipate these big things being uh-huh. real and really hard. And then there's little moments when you know some man who used to work with your dad and you know loved him and came up to you and shared this story and it, it takes you to a place that you did not know you're about to be taken to uh-huh. um and and those are really fun I really enjoy them but they're really hard because it's almost like a tease like mm-hmm. it almost feels like I don't know I'm learning I this season of my life I'm learning to give myself the permission to do things and to feel things that I've kept myself from feeling and doing before yeah. So maybe that is like crying with this man, you know, yeah. like before I would have been like, Rachel, suck it up. Keep yeah. it, keep it. Because yeah. I didn't, out of fear of making him uncomfortable. Yeah. But now it's like, no, like if my heart and if my spirit and my soul is missing him, like it is okay to, to express that through tears. And like what a gift that the Lord gave us to express our feelings. Right. Yeah. So I'm learning that. Um, but in a deeper grieving sense, um, I think, there's those bigger moments you're talking about, like getting married. And that was a really hard day where I just felt so much guilt of why am I so upset? And I knew why I was upset, but I also yeah. knew that there was so much to be celebrating. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really learn that whole permission thing yet. <laughs> so yeah. I was just struggling the whole day through. I'm really upset and really sad. Like I really want my dad and my mom. Yeah. And then the other side of it being like, I cannot wait to walk down the aisle. And I probably looked like a freak that day <laughs> because I was going from like giggling and being like so excited with all my friends to like being alone and crying. And yeah. everyone's probably like, what is going on? Yeah. But it's just this wave of emotions. And there's other moments in my life that I imagine my dad would be a part of. Like yeah. having a family, you know, like being in the delivery room, like meeting my kids, yeah. meeting and being able to introduce them to my dad and, and who he is or him teaching them how to play golf, like small things like yeah. that, that I just assumed that that was going to be a fake and it's mm-hmm. not. Um, and so having just to pray through that and be like, okay, or I know that that's not a possibility, but that doesn't mean that this can't happen for my kids. Yeah. It's just going to look different than how I imagined it. Like they're still going to know their grandfather, whether they meet him in real life or they just hear stories. But yeah. I pray into that and that you would take away the fear and that you would bring opportunity and people into their life to tell them who their dad was because he was such a big part of my life. 
that I would want them to honor and respect that so that if I'm a mom and I'm having a hard day, my kids would understand like real and healthy grief and that it's okay to be upset if an expectation isn't met, you know, Mm -hmm. but this is where the Lord fills in all the gaps and more and is through, you know, your grandmother and her stories or your dad. Cause thankfully Thomas knew my dad really well. And so he's able to keep that alive with me too. And, um, which kind of brings me to, I, I talk about grief a lot. Yeah. And I've had a few people like message me or write me and be like, Hey, I disagree. I don't think it's healthy that you're still grieving. And I don't think it's healthy that you let yourself go there. Mm-hmm. And I have to like take a step back and be like, wait, no, I think this world looks at grieving as unhealthy yeah. because a lot of times they see unhealthy grief. Yeah. Um, but there is a healthy way to do that. Unhealthy yeah. grief looks like shame and guilt and maybe even pride. And like, I'm just going to handle it how I need to handle it. I'm going to fix this void with, um, alcohol or, um, even like prescription drugs, like antidepressants. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go and fix this with what the world can fix it with. Uh-huh. And then there's a healthy grief where you just realize that life is life and this is not our home and this is not our place. And that what happens here is going to be unfortunate sometimes, but we have a fortunate God and we have yeah. a, an amazing and willing heavenly father who can step into place. And like I said, fill in all the gaps and more. And if you don't grieve healthily, then you almost don't give the Lord the opportunity to show up in the middle of your mess. Yeah. And if you pretend like everything's okay, then you're almost showing your strength instead of his. Yeah. So I think it's healthy to lower yourself and to get on your knees and to be upset and to grieve and to cry and be upset and even yeah. doubt sometimes and being like, God, where are you and who are you and what in the world are you doing with my life? Because mm-hmm. this is a hot mess right now. And him yeah. to be able to say, hold on, like, there is hope. Please have faith. Like, I'm working. I'm working, I swear. And those are the moments when I feel the most closest to him. And if I never allowed myself to grieve, I honestly don't think I would. Daughter, I still am. Or even just like the believer in the work that I I love doing for the kingdom if I didn't grieve. Yeah. That makes sense. So yes. I, I don't write all of that to them. Yeah. But I just ask them some hard questions. I'm like, hey, what is grief to you? Why yeah. does grief make you uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. You know? And a lot of times their answer can kind of solve their problem before I have to introduce my thoughts. But yeah. Grief is good if you let it be good, but grief can also be really dangerous. And so yeah. that's why it's very important to pray through grief. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm learning so much. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I, I preached it. Oops. No, I love it. I love it. Love it. Um, okay. So um, just if you don't have anything, totally fine, but are there any other, obviously this is like a big, I'm assuming a big one for you, but what are other like moments in your life that if you're willing to share that you would say like taught you really a lot about yourself and just a lot about like the Lord or, you know, people around you, like what are some big or even small events that you would say have kind of stood out um, in your life in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I, Oh, wow, that's, like, loaded question. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 this is fine. I just, I mean, I just told you that, like, my, this whole season has been learning to give myself the permission like, to yeah. feel 
and, and a lot of other things, but um, I feel like this season, so many more of those moments are coming to my memory than I had ever remembered them. Yeah. And so it's funny you'd ask that because it's just so timely. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, after my dad passed away, there were a few other like men, older men, like godly men you yeah. can say like in and out of my life just because I think um, my mom was also grieving and figuring out what life alone and independent looked like yeah so, um I mean like any healthy single woman whether you're widowed or not like she was dating yeah and there was a lot of men who were not like my dad and there yeah. was a lot of men who had similarities but like really were never like him mm-hmm. and I realized in that moment how blessed I was and even growing up and becoming an adult and just seeing the type of people, much less like men, are out there, I just am so grateful for incredible role models in my life yeah. of what biblical masculinity looks like, mm-hmm. you know, especially with how confused of like the world can be right now. Yeah. Um, and I got to see that um, through other men in my life that I didn't invite into my life. Yeah. Um. And I was told a lot of things about who I was through these men. And my Mm -hmm. identity really got twisted, especially because I was in such a vulnerable place. And I really, I needed affirmation and I needed people to tell me who I was because I was just so confused. Yeah. Um, Because before I was Bill's daughter, like, that's what I took my pride in. And so Mm -hmm. now I was like, well, I am, but I'm not. So what does this look like? And it was a lot of people spoke a lot of, um, little T truths is what I heard someone call it one time yeah. in my life of, um, uh, you're not really cut out for that or just weird things that I feel like disabled me or I let it disable me from doing what I really wanted to do what I felt like my calling was. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I believed it, I agreed with it and it became who I was. So yeah. I will, I wasn't cut out for things because I believed I wasn't, or yeah. I didn't speak up because I was a smaller voice, like someone told me one time, or yeah. I wasn't pretty enough because of what some other people told me, and all of these things just started like becoming who I was because I let it and I believed it. Yeah, and um, I had to go through this process, especially after getting married. Gosh. Anything that you are, you have gets brought into marriage, whether you think you're leaving it behind or not. Yeah. And I feel like I got married and I brought all these things with me. And Thomas would say something and I would like almost get angry. Like it was a trigger. I'm yeah. Like, don't say that. He's like, why? And I'm like, because, because of this. Because I'm not cut out for that, Thomas. Like, yeah. Why would you ever tell me to try that? Like, I would never try that. I'm not cut out. And he's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, where did you hear this? Like, who told you that? Yeah. And I have like, go back and say, there was this moment when I was 17 years old, you know, and like, go yeah. back to that place that you don't want to revisit mm-hmm. because it's been so ingrained into your identity and you have to like, pull it out like a weed. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you're so right. That's not truth. Mm-hmm. And like, slowly, I feel like. I'm learning the Lord and what he's doing and what he has done and what he's going to do for me through asking hard questions like, okay, the only capital T truth we really have is scripture. And 
the last thing that I'm going to claim as truth is my feelings. Yeah. Because I feel a lot of things that are not true. Yeah. And like even felt things before the phone call that weren't true. Yeah. That I could have believed in and I didn't. And so I'm at a healthy place in that now and I hope to still grow on it. But back when I was going through all this and everything was so um, recent and I was so vulnerable, it was really hard for me to choose the truth. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I don't think I really knew the truth to even agree with it. You mm-hmm. know, like I didn't, I don't, I don't feel like I really knew scripture to use to combat so that when I did hear something, my spirit was triggered to say, Ooh, that felt weird. Don't say that to me. You know, yeah. I rebuke that, you know, and you don't even mm-hmm. have to say it out loud, but now I feel like I have put my nose into scripture. I know not all of it, but I know enough that I have these bumpers in my life to be like, I'm not going to allow myself to go there because, you know, um, Jeremiah says this about me yeah. or in Genesis, it says this about me mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's become, it's become a weapon really. And yeah. And when they say the word is alive, it really is because it makes you feel something when someone says something that's not of the word. Like it almost makes you angry. You're like, oh, I don't like that. It, cr- it makes you cringe. Yeah. You feel icky. And you're like, oh, that's not right. I know that's not right. And then you turn to scripture and sure enough, there is the complete opposite. You know, yeah. and um, I think all of that though came from having people in and out of my life that I didn't invite there. And so I never really had <clears throat> the... I guess, authority to uninvite them from my life because they were just a part of it because someone else invited them, Yeah, you know? Um, and whether that's friends or whether that's men or whether that's whatever, like there just was a lot of people that I didn't have the opportunity. And to be honest, I probably did. I just didn't think I was powerful enough to be like, I'm removing myself in the situation. Yeah. So I just was around a lot of the talk and believed a lot of the talk and, and having still to this day to kind of remove all those from who I am yeah yeah oh my where where were you three years ago I could have used that yeah I know oh my gosh but we're all gonna go through that yeah yeah we really are like and that's why it's so important to never believe that you're above any of it yeah and I think that's what put me in such a dangerous spot was you know like I believed that my dad was above death yeah. You know, and he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it almost was put me in a worse position thinking that that if I had just considered it a reality, you know? Yeah. Or something that could happen. Or like you hear about things happening on the news or maybe to your friends or in your friend's marriage. And you're like, oh, yeah, that would never happen to Thomas and I. Yeah, it could. Yeah. Yeah, it could. It could totally happen tomorrow or today. Yeah. You know, but because we're so close to sin, we don't even know it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, like, are so close to the Father and, like, feel the Spirit. And we're like, oh, yeah, like, I'm dwelling in who he is. That you don't you don't know how really, truly close you are to acting in flesh. And, yeah. And for real life things to happen. And whether they're your consequences or just naturally just life consequences. Like, just life. You yeah. don't know. But to believe that you're above anything is really dangerous because it's easy to identify yourself rather than having the Lord says identify you yeah yeah so good so good um okay so kind of changing um direction a little bit I have like one or two more questions but um this is just one thing I was even thinking of one day but like what is it like because I know that um 
So Thomas is a pilot, correct? Yes. Yes. And so what is it like? Because I know, like, I kind of have anxiety, like, even getting on planes, like, traveling. And so, like, what is it like, I guess, kind of, like, putting so much of your trust, like, in th- in Thomas, I guess, but also yeah. in, like, this little plane? Like, what is that like? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, he, I think he's always been, like, a tinkerer. Yeah. He loves all modes of transportation. Like, he could just sit by a train and watch it move. Like, that's yeah. just who he is. He's uh-huh. an engineer to the bone. So yeah. he just wants to know how things work. And so if he has an opportunity to try something, he's going to try it. Yeah. Um, and when we first got married, we were living in Clemson, South Carolina. Yeah. And um, I remember we lived close to an airport. And we, like, packed a little lunch or something. And we mm-hmm. got on his motorcycle. And we went and we sat on a road. Um, right behind the airport, I'm talking like right behind the airport, and okay. we got to see planes like fly over us and land. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I want to be a pilot one day." And everything in me like lit on fire. I was like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> like, yeah. no, no, no!" Like, please just work in the cubicle, like be an yeah. engineer. We talked through this. Yeah, like, we're gonna be fine. And um, he's like, "Oh gosh, like it just would be so fun." And sure enough, could draw every yeah. dinner conversation uh. we had after that was like, "Hey, how do you think could you? Hey, do you think I could just maybe just go? Hey, how about if we? Ooh, yeah. do you want to watch this plane video? Yeah, I'm like, okay. You're like, All right. <laughs> I finally was like, either stop talking about it yeah. or just go do it. Yeah, like we cannot be sitting in this middle anymore. Yeah, and so um." We scraped together any money that we had to get him a a flight, just like a, I think it's called an introductory flight. Like okay. you just go up in a plane and you see everything and you ride with somebody else, basically. Yeah. And he did it and like the instructor that was in there let him fly part of the time and taught yeah. him a lot and he just came back like glowing. Yeah. And I had this thing happen inside of me where I think I just love seeing him light up and I've never seen him like that besides when I walked down the aisle yeah. and I thought this has got to be something special yeah and who am I to step in the way of it you know yeah and so he moved forward with it and he ended up becoming yeah a private pilot yeah and, um and then we had the conversation of well what are you going to do with this pilot license like do you want to become a pilot or yeah. are you just going to do this as a hobby and he said I, I want to be a I want to be a fighter pilot <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. uh, this also was not part of our conversation. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And again, like that fear arose. I was thinking, this is not, I was not cut out for this. I did not sign up for this. Yeah. Like, really confused. But um, I had this dream, and I think it just was, I really think it was of the Lord, but I had this dream, and we were old, like really old, like yeah. gray hair, and mm-hmm. we were laying in bed, and I looked over and he was just kind of like crying silently, yeah. like had like tears. And, and I looked over, I was like, what's wrong? He said, I just wish I was a pilot. Yeah. And I had this moment in the dream and I woke up and I was like, oh, if he doesn't become one or if, if rather if I don't let him become one, because yeah. really he could do it. He could do anything he put his mind to, mm-hmm. but it was me and my fear that was holding him back from his dreams. Yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't live like that. Yeah. And God loves him more than I love him. So yeah. surely it's going to just work out how it's going to work out. And so, um, we started putting 
applications into different Air Force bases, and this mm-hmm. was like a year and a half ago, and yeah. it has been the longest um, process. It's like applying to college, but yeah. ten times longer of a process. Yeah. And um, and he just got accepted actually um, like a month and a half ago to wow. Birmingham Air Force Base, so we don't even have to move because yeah. we're Birmingham, Alabama now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he got like one of two slots they had available, which wow. is really big. Anyways, yeah. But um, we have just been through this process that, like, oh my gosh, not being in control is so hard for me in general. But in an airplane, I don't know what the heck is going on. Yeah. So I just kind of have to sit back and watch. And there's no such thing as backseat <clears throat> flying. Yeah. I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but he really is he's becoming a really good communicator and telling me like, okay, we're going to hit some turbulence, mm-hmm. but it does not mean we're just going to fall out of the sky. Yeah. Like we're going to be fine. It's like, if you hit a speed bump on the road, you're not going to crash. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, okay, you're right. Yeah. So <clears throat> I do feel a lot more safe than maybe in the beginning, but I think that that just comes with experience and, mm-hmm. you know, being in sketchy situations sometimes and getting out of it. And you're like, okay, we're fine. Yeah. We're okay. But, um, yeah, it's a new fun part of life that we're adventuring, and yeah. um, I'm learning a ton about weather and flying. I feel like I could be a pilot myself these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I think I could do this. Uh-huh. Just kidding. That's, yeah. That is so much fun. I'm still, I love the fact that y'all can just, like, pick up and, and go somewhere, so. Yeah, if the fun. weather is good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the tricky part. If it's yeah. too cloudy, it's a bummer, because you really can't go yeah um, a lot of places or we could but we choose not to because we yeah. just like to be super safe yes yeah um okay so kind of last thing this is not even the big like the biggest thing I think we covered most of what I wanted to get through but um just kind of I've seen because I know that y'all you know lived in Columbia and now are in Birmingham and I know that you guys spend some time I believe over the summer in California yeah. Is that so? Just kind of like, what's it like? And this can—I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of like, really, like a lot of good in this. Um, m- maybe more than bad. But like, what's it been like? Just kind of like moving around. Because I mean, I've gone through like a big move in my life. But like, what is it kind of like? And how has the Lord kind of used you in these different places? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, we. Moved to Birmingham, Alabama from South Carolina when we first got married um, mm-hmm. for Thomas's job, his first job with JH Ranch, okay. which is a guest ranch slash, slash family ministry that their headquarters are in Birmingham, Alabama, okay. but their actual property and like where things take place in the summer times and what they prepare for is out in California. Okay. So. All of the families who work for JH Ranch pick up and move from Birmingham to California every summer and then back afterwards. Um, It's really fun because you're moving with a community. So rarely did we really ever feel lonely because we had people there that were familiar and we knew and we could count on. Yeah. Um, But it just was weird because there was no such thing as routine. Yeah. Because, right, as you feel like you got in the swing of things and, like, you had your Birmingham friends and, like, you were hitting a stride with the church and, like, serving or even, you know, dinner plans. And then you pick up and you move to California where they are really gracious and generous and they they give you housing there and there's a chef so you really don't have to cook your own food and all these things that you don't – I mean, life just looks completely different. 
from mm-hmm. the weather to your routine. Like everything is just weird and different. Yeah. Um, and there just was a lot of change. And I think Thomas and I grew a lot in marriage through it all because we were always having to adapt, which means we were always having to communicate. And there was always an expectation yeah. that was either met and succeeded or like not met and we failed. Yeah. And, um, and we were always, I feel like, a good uncomfortable. Not like uncomfortable, like we didn't like where we were. Yeah. Because we're uncomfortable, like we don't know what to anticipate what next month looks like. Like, yeah. sure, we're going to be in California, but like in one month from today, you know, he's going to be working twice as hard because we have a bigger program coming through and he oversaw all the ropes courses, the um, whitewater rafting and like yeah. the training of it all. And he just was really in it and mm-hmm. I did not work for Jade Ranch so during the summer times I kind of bebopped around yeah <laughs> met people and helped where I could but it was really hard for me to discover purpose yeah because I I was in a place where there was really only one thing to do and that was to work for the ranch and yeah there was not anything else around like you had to drive 45 minutes to a Walmart or like it it's in the middle of nowhere which yeah. is beautiful uh-huh. but really hard if you're trying to discover purpose. Yeah. So I prayed through it, and our first two summers out there were pretty difficult for me just because I wanted the boundary between the ranch and I, or else I knew that we would always be on the clock and always working if both Thomas and I worked for them. Yeah. Um, especially because his hours would have looked different from when I was needing to work. It just was yeah. a lot. It was a puzzle, yeah. and I said – I think one of us just needs to be a little bit more free than the other so that we, when we do have time, we can actually have time. Yeah. Um, but I also was having to balance between not working for the ranch, but then still investing in relationships. And we don't have kids, but a lot of the moms and other wives out there have kids. So yeah. I, it's not like I could bring my kid to the pool and hang out with all the moms. And yeah. it just was like weird for me. I felt very alone. Yeah. Um, and I had to walk through a season of loneliness um, and also realize, like, I can I have a lot more power over the season than I had originally imagined I did. And so yeah. our third summer out there, which was last summer, yeah. was the best because that's when Mary Scott and I started the podcast. Oh, and yeah. I felt like I had purpose and we had vision and we had dreams and goals and like, growth and movement and projects and deadlines and all these things that yeah. Thomas could go do his thing and I could go do mine. But I have, and Mary Scott does too, a lot of control over what Behind the Bliss looks like for us. Yeah. So we were able to like, I'd call her, I'd be like, hey, hard day at the Audrey household. I'm going to take a break. Yeah. I'll see you tomorrow. And she's like, okay, got it. Yeah. And vice versa. So I think, um, oh gosh, it was just was something that I had prayed for the podcast but then very much like a purpose that yeah. um I feel like I finally was at a a state where like, the Lord could actually mold me yeah. and so and he knew I would steward the summer well and I wouldn't be as like grumpy and just like pouting all the time yeah <laughs> that um I'm just so thankful that it worked out and that the podcast is what it is because yeah. truly that was a huge reason why I think this past summer was so successful for us as you know, as a family, but then I think like my heart, I learned a lot more this summer and grew a lot more this summer because I really allowed it in the last two summers. I feel like I was very 
like I said, grumpy and pouty. Yeah. Um, and was not, I just didn't have a good attitude. Uh-huh. So, um, so yeah, we moved back and forth and that was our last summer out there last summer. And we'll yeah. go out this summer for a few weeks just to, um, transition well and help the person that's taken over Thomas's job and yeah. be a part of the first few weeks. But mm-hmm. then we are piecing out and wow, yeah. moving on with pilot full time. Yeah. Yeah. That was so fun. It's crazy. 